Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Burning Wrestling Questions, you most want answered. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by Andy Murray to do precisely that. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review AEW Dynamite, Rampage, WWE Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, premium live events. We hold wrestler interviews, roundtable discussions, and host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on Wrestle culture in addition to every now and then because we really appreciate your engagement and your follows answering the questions that you most want answered the usual preamble applies we get a lot of questions not pertaining to this podcast just in general across the news and just people like to hear our thoughts we always value that but we don't necessarily have all of the personal time to answer every single one so we've created this we platform in which to do it there's no point going to you first. You don't have a question. You're answering the questions. So let's get straight <laughs> goddamn to it. We start with Mr. David, 1982. Thank you for this question. Do you gentlemen believe that we will actually be getting some legitimate dream matches or just a bunch of multi-man and tags at NJPWXAEW Forbidden Door? Glad you asked. I'm desperate to get this out there for reassurance purposes. What's going to happen in my hopefully considered opinion, is that we are not going to get something akin to the ROH, New Japan, War of the Worlds, these to brand those shows as. And Global Wars, yes. Global Wars and War of the Worlds, in which you very rarely got, like, the top guy in one promotion going up against the other. They were, in fact, mostly multi-man tags and top guys versus middle card guys. I don't think it's going to be like that. Nor do I think that you are going to see the absolute biggest dream matches possible dot 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 yet it would be senseless considering i hope this is at least an annual thing it would be senseless to blow your load far too early and do omega versus a card of five yeah or omega versus ibushi which i think are the two that people are most interested in there is hopefully years worth of stuff to do but it has to set the tone it has to draw a house it has to draw pay-per-view buys this is not some Glorified Dynamite, which is incredibly important, of course. This is genuinely something they want to make a significant return on, and they want this brand to be built, hopefully, for as long as it possibly can go. This needs to have several big matches, and we will elucidate further on which matches we would like to see. But do you agree with my take in general before we answer the next questions about which matches we might see? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. They have to sell out the the United Center. That's the bar. Like, 
AEW in Chicago for a big show has to sell out. It's imperative. It's one of the strongest markets. It's a place they've done uh, great houses in the past. Uh, they will do great houses there in the future. Um, but it has to sell out. And that's, at the moment, not a given, I don't think. I don't think at, at this stage in wrestling history, you can just plaster the initials AEW and New Japan together and it's going to sell out a massive building because New Japan's down buzz-wise, particularly in the West. So they need to give you an incentive to go. Uh, that means they need to book some stuff you're going to want to see. Um, yep, you're right. Be senseless to get through all the big matches straight away. Um, they're going to have to sliver you some stuff in there for, for sure. You're going to see some singles matches, definitely. Um, they won't be perhaps your all-time fantasy weapons-grade dream matches, um, but they will be some dream matches. Um I think they will avoid Wrestle Kingdom Night 3 this year, where it was multi-mans, multi-mans, conventional tag multi-mans. Uh, that was a different kettle of fish. There's a lot of underlying political issues in uh, between New Japan and pro wrestling Noah, There's issues with people like Yoshinobu Kanemaru, who jumped ship from, from Noah uh, to New Japan. There's issues with working with the great Muta, one of the all-time chancers and backstage politicians in any era, really, who really hijacked... Uh, their main event on that show, which was still good, but poor Kaito Kiyomiya. Um, so I don't think it'll be as rubbish, <laughs> for lack of a better word, uh, lineup-wise as that show was. I say that, the the, the the Congo match was tremendous. But there will be a degree of political tags on the undercard. New Japan are going to go, listen, like we need to get some wins here. Like Some of our guys have to go over some of your guys, even though we're in your backyard. I think that will come through a combination of beatable, semi-top guys, like your Eddie Kingston's and stuff, taking L's, uh, and a couple of tag matches on the bottom. You're going to see, like, the show's going to open with like three or four, six-man, eight-man tags in a row. It's how it goes. Um, but there will be some top-level stuff because they need to sell tickets. And if they don't put top-level stuff in it, then where's the trust for the second round of this? There isn't any. Even if it's an instant sellout, which I genuinely don't discount. I understand New Japan has been down. My own interest has been slowly like fading in it since the pandemic. I can't personally deal with clap crowds. Even before the pandemic hit, I think they were recycling the same warm yes. combinations. And if you've seen the very best versions of those matches, a diminished return of each of them, it just it feels like... Top main event scene is incredibly stagnant. Underneath, there are so many incredibly promising young lines, but they're nowhere near ready to really get into the mix, so to speak. But even if, right, it is an instant sellout, and I believe it actually might be, because I think people have this idealized version of New Japan, just the draw of seeing a Carter in a top-level singles match in front of a capacity crowd that's allowed to vocalize yeah, their investment is going to be this incredible deal. Um but yeah, even if people are thinking New Japan is still the New Japan of 2019 when it, in fact, is not, and it does sell out on that basis of the romantic lure of New Japan rather than current form, they're not going to go, right, tickets bought, fine, we can phone it in now and wait for next year to do the good stuff. I think they really want to set a tone and generate a lot of pay-per-view buys. So I think my very informed guess is that we're going to see a lot of good stuff mm -hmm. on this show. And the next one is from a regular guy regular contrib just a, a standout guy edward shiraz hands ah he lovely. says good i had some jeans what, what was that <laughs> that's my australian accent i thought it was like a birmingham accent or something i can't really do accents <laughs> uh, is, birmingham? A, is he from birmingham or, or edward or is he from uh, i'm assuming 
They said good day. Good day. Okay, fair point. Said good day. Yeah. All right. I thought that was you just. And don't they love like wine hands over there with her wacky Australian drinking? Castlemaine quadruple X. He That's says. That's what I know of Australian drinks. He says, what main event's dynamite next week? Sheeta Deeb, Dax Cash, Sky Sammy. And he also says, please let Deeb versus Sheeta main event or at least open. Glad you pointed that out. Mm. I specifically. Selected this question not because I value, not just because I value your, your follow, but I've got an axe to goddamn grind, and I've got a that's what I'm looking for an agenda. <laughs> I'm desperate one of these goddamn days <laughs> for AEW to book a women's match in the opening slot of Dynamite. As soon as that opening music hits in that arena, the fans, having been conditioned to think Dynamite is awesome most of the time and with good reason, will go bonkers for anything that opens the show generally. Use that goodwill as a shortcut to get this women's division where it needs to be. And if it's not Sheeta versus Deeb in the main event or the opener, I would like it to be Tony Storm versus Jamie Hayter. Not in the middle of Rampage, not in the Palumbo Quarter Hour. If there's a match that is an all-star match that people are really, really into, even if some of them are clearly doing it for pervy reasons... Both women are talented, but I, I know what people are like. I know what wrestling fans are like. It's like absolutely disgusting. <laughs> if there's a match that has a serious amount of goodwill and hype and anticipation ahead of it, let it open the show because otherwise it's going to sink in that penultimate quarter hour where people have been conditioned to think, well, I need to save my voice for the main event. Yeah. Specifically, I think Cash versus Dax opens and Sky Sammy closes. So do I. <laughs> but yeah, I would like to see it as much as you, Edward. Yeah, I agree with everything you've said. Um, I think that configuration of matches is exactly what they go with. I think that uh, it's a ladder match, isn't it? So after the the well-received quality of the Cody Sammy one, um, from their point of view, it's hard to see how their thought process would would evolve beyond that. So I think that's going to close. Crowd reactions in that match at the end of the show are going to be interesting to gauge. But yeah, I mean, they've got to do... I, that's the thing we say they got to do something they got to do they got to do this to ignite the division they got to do that it's like I, I don't think they're that arsed is the problem and, right uh, like you look at the low effort offerings that they've put forth from the division recently and I'm not one of these these um, well-meaning folks who will time stuff out on a weekly basis and stuff uh, which I think is a fine endeavour but it's you know coverage wise there's reasons not to book people on shows who are maybe not doing well when they appear data-wise in the quarter hours. But it's your job as the promoter to build people into, people that boost the show. Uh, Britt Baker's done it. Thunder Rosa's done it. Uh, Jay Cargill does it all the time. Um, it's just that I don't see a lot of regard for this division from the bookers. I never have, really. And uh, cynically, I don't really see that changing anytime soon. I think at some point over the next two to three years that a change is going to come genuinely but it's not going to be through want of actual desire to do it i think yeah. they'll get put under the serious pressure and have to do it at some point um right here we go we've had loads and loads and loads of questions about um forbidden door so let's get out of the way we're going to repeat <laughs> we're going to repeat a few takes you have to bear with us the next five minutes we're all very excited we're all trying to manifest our favorite matches you know how this goes yeah so mark at WrestleMobs, thank you for your question. Asks, who, in your opinion, should be the headline matches for Forbidden Door? There's so many dream matches, I think the show should be four hours max to maximize quality. 
Um, I agree. So his thoughts are a Carter Punk, mm. Brian Zack Sabre Jr., Mox Tanner, Hangman Takagi. Yes, great idea, actually. Uh, Cole versus Ibushi or Naito. Uh, Bucks versus Gorilla of Destiny. Gorillas of Destiny, sorry. And FTR versus Okan and Cobb, which I very much like the sound of. I'm going to try and keep my thoughts brief because I've echoed them for the last, since the rumor started. MGF versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. You're going to get a 50 50 boot card split, more or less, in terms of wins. You actually made a great point about how it's AEW's backyard. Maybe AEW will get the advantage, and then when they run it back, hopefully, in Japan in front of a real crowd very, very soon. Maybe it's the third night of Tokyo Dome or something like this. Um, New Japan can win more matches. But I can't think of a better guy who the American audience would really want to see who completely embodies the values of New Japan Pro Wrestling, which MGF has been very craftily and intelligently burying in anticipation of this very announcement. He is the soul of New Japan Pro Wrestling. MJF can get over by beating Hiroshi Tanahashi. Hiroshi Tanahashi is in a phase of his career now where he's still on his best day, an incredible, sympathetic, professional wrestling babyface genius. MJF would absolutely luxuriate in working heel against him. MJF can win. It's an easy political solution. It's a dream match. The character dynamics there, um, I think with a lot of the explosive and technical action, I think this is the closest you'll get to a classic North American territory match that would be a great fit for an audience that might not be 100% up on New Japan, which we'll get to a question about that later. So, MJF versus Roshi Tanahashi, for sheer explosions, Hangman Page versus Shingo, but I understand that's fraught politically in terms of they would debate the outcome of that match forever and ever and ever. Um, Danielson Okada, because I'm greedy, and I think that if Danielson loses that, he loses absolutely nothing no. whatsoever no not at all uh something's just popped into my head looking at the uh list of new japan personnel wonderful wikipedia page uh both of these men are injured at the moment don't know what their situations like personal relationship wise politically promotional between the two companies for no reason other than it would be really cool what about ftr versus the golden lovers why not it's not some go ahead Talk about it. If, if I, mean, I was just desperate to join. Yeah. <laughs> if they're both, um, obviously it's dependent on Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega being healthy, and that's still in question, uh, whether they'll be back for the event. But I think it's kind of perfect for this show because it's a dream match that you didn't realize was a dream match. Because if you sat there and thought, who do I really want to see tag-wise on this show, right? You're going to look at... You're going to look at the, the tag scene in New Japan has never been a priority. It's the weirdest thing in the world because uh, Gedo and Jado are tag wrestling guys, the world-class tag team, right? And yet when they book, it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, this this is the division that just sort of exists. Do what you want with the belts. Uh, and they've got some good teams, the Girls of Destiny, and I like the Great Okan-Jeff uh, Cobb connection. But there's no real tag teams in that company where you look at them and go, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely in the conversation with FTR and the Young Bucks and... Santana Ortiz, whoever you want to name, as like a great tenure tag team. Uh, well, cool. Your wonderful pro wrestling story just before Kenny Omega's New Japan departure is right there. Uh, him and Kota Ibushi are incandescent together. Um, it's a match that all but guarantees, I mean, like a minimum of four and three quarters yeah. stars. I mean, look at their track records. Look at the form FTR are in this year as well. And it just leaps off the page to me as something that doesn't require an elaborate build. 
Uh, it doesn't require this deep rooted personal rivalry between two teams. It is just a straight up ripper of a match that would sell tickets. And uh, if Kenny has a way onto this show, um, and if he's able to get fit, and if Kota is able to overcome his health concerns as well, uh, I think it would just be a really nice, warm, wonderful way to bring these two lovely gentlemen back into the world. I was going to say, before I corrected myself in my head, what a great way to bring back two guys who suffered significant injury scares and the rest over the last however many years in a tag match where they don't really have to do as much as if it was a singles <laughs> match, and yet FTR would give them the workout of their goddamn lives because they are total and utter cardio- cardiovascular yeah. machines. So maybe not the cleverest choice in terms of, I don't know, just ease them back in with the tag yeah. match. <laughs> but it would still be absolutely incredible. But for me... I don't think they would do Danielson a Carter, but I would just absolutely yeah. adore it. Yeah. Just the dark arts pacing. It's another one where you build. don't really, you're not really burning like something that's been building for years as well. It's not like burning Okada Omega 5 or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. It's, again, it's rife with political issues in terms of who would go over and who wouldn't. But I would just love to see Brian Danielson versus Kazuka Okada. It's, it's like you said about FTR Golden Lovers. Like minimum of four and three. If Danielson Okada doesn't get five stars, it's a disaster. Yeah, <laughs> like that's how that's the ceiling on that is just absolutely unbelievable. I think, speaking of political choices, a good one to for New Japan to win, where one of their top guys can beat an, a beatable AEW top guy, would be Eddie Kingston and Zack Saber Jr. I think um, a lot of people will look at like Danielson versus Zach for the show. Understandable. Two of the like the top two technical wrestlers in the world. Makes a lot of sense. All of all time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's literally a, an observer award named after Brian Danielson that has been won by Zach like eight years in a row. Yeah. So there you go. Um but Eddie is so Eddie Kingston versus Zach, he's Eddie is so good at the styles clash stuff. Like he he can't match a technician hold for hold, so he has to like brute force his way out of things and get by on biting down on his mouthpiece and gutting it out. It's such an easy, great story, and Zach would be so good as being a prick on top and like talking to him in the match and like disdainfully slapping him when he's in control and stuff. Uh, also, the banter classic, which would sell all the tickets, is the Butcher versus Togi Maccabee. Come on. That would be awesome. <laughs> now, the next question feeds into the last question because I've just had a, a great idea. But you are the biggest fan in the world of Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, he's my favorite. Very quickly run through, your, I know you've done it before, but ah. your dream scenario for Ishii on this show. And I will answer another question, which incorporates mine. Okay, cool. So Tomohiro Ishii is my favorite wrestler of all time, full disclosure. It's very difficult for me to talk about this man objectively. Um, he's one of the greatest sellers of all time. One of the greatest bumpers of all time. Doesn't sell though, does he? Oh no, it's uh, it's all it's all no sells. <laughs> Fighting spirit sounds like an excuse to me, pal. Um, he's the king of that. He's taken the the classic Japanese fighting spirit blueprint and evolved it to a whole new level with the one count kickouts with the getting hit by a devastating move immediately popping up punching someone in the face and then immediately collapsing because he's absolutely goosing the adrenaline and has worn off from when he gets hit in the corner and so it, it happens in every match but it, it's so good it works every time someone's throwing these forearms in his face and he just changes his look and goes what are you doing you dumbass and stalks out he's the king i love him 
he's getting old, though. He's slowing down. This is unquestionable. You look at Tomohiro Ishii today and you look at his posture. It's a little bit more slouched than it was before. Uh, you know, he's graying and stuff. And he goes long, long months where he just has kind of okay tag matches and mixed mans and all of this kind of stuff. But then occasionally he comes along and reminds you who the hell he is. And he did this the other week against Minoru Suzuki at uh, Windy City Riot. Um, one thing that Tom is still... I mean, he's still great at everything when he can physically do it. Um, but one thing that he excels at, and I was really impressed with him in this scenario last year when he faced Moose, is as the smaller man against a beast, uh, against someone who's bigger than him, against someone he can sell like death for all of their stuff, make their moves look incredible. Uh, and who on the AEW roster do you want to elevate as the beast in that role as a guy who is obviously on the rise, uh, someone you could maybe turn into a, like a top-level star at some point, someone who's improved immeasurably over the years, and the answer is Powerhouse Hobbs. Um, AEW has a lot of good hosses at the moment. Uh, Wardlow, Wardlow versus Ishii would rule as well. Um, but to me, Hobbs would be the guy... Ishii would bounce off this man like a bowling ball. And Hobbs is such an expressive guy with his sneers and his little bits and pieces that he does in the ring. Um, him selling Ishii's one-count kickouts and immediate pop-ups and stuff would be tremendous stuff. I think it would be a star-making win for Powerhouse Hobbs as well. I think it would be sensational. Now, someone, and that someone is Dan Wide, has uh, asked a question that I always find just impossible to ask, and I do not envy Tony Khan one bit when he, like, you know, when you have a bit of a thing at work or, like, homework where you think, oh, that's hard, I want to put it off. I think this is the situation with Tony Khan because uh, Dan asks, how would you book Miro's AEW return? I miss that big old beefy boy, oh. as do I, but the guy's impossible to book. You can't <laughs> beat him. He loses his aura if you beat him. It's the same thing with every monster in wrestling, and he is a monster. The more you beat them, the magic wears off, and it's very, very, very difficult to recover it, right? So it's an unenviable task having someone that gifted who you have to protect very, very carefully in the booking. You can turn him face and just basically do the same beats, but subverted now that he's a baby face. You kind of have to push him to the world title level. Is he quite up there? I don't know. He's certainly worth a go. Yes. Would he sell a pay-per-view if he was in the last match? I'm not convinced he's quite there, but at the same time, he's done the TNT title picture quite a bit, and as we've discovered in our discourse about like Scorpio Sky and Sammy Guevara, it's getting a bit boring. There's a plethora of... There's about 15 people. If they give the TNT title, I'd be like, okay, yeah, works for me. So Miro is a puzzle. Why not do Miro versus Ishii at Forbidden Door? And that could be his reintroduction. Miro versus go. Ishii. And he could beat Ishii as well. Yeah. He'll have no compunction about beating Ishii at all, I don't think. Provided, of course, that your yeah, Akadas and your Shingles win. Miro versus Ishii would be an absolutely incredible match. Two of the best faces, two of the best hosses, two of the biggest badasses. Like the energy, the machismo. Fighting spirit, the screams, the roars, sweat flying off of bodies after chops and stuff. Yeah. I don't know what you do with Miro after that. Yeah. I, I've got no idea. Tough guy, tough guy to book. I think I like Wilborn's idea of bringing him back. Um, I mean, it's changed now that Scorpio Sky's not the TV champion at TNT champion anymore, but Miro coming back, I know he's done the TNT stuff a lot, but 
him coming back and just killing Sammy Guevara. Such a great way. This really obnoxious squirt of a heel getting flattened by a babyface redeemer. That sounds awesome. That does sound awesome. Yeah. That does sound awesome. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash whatculture. Murray, for the next question, I'm just going to fling it over to you. This is from Mona. Thank you very much for this, Mona. Uh, good afternoon, legend. Since the New Japan show is now confirmed, and I've seen quotes about Never Say Never concerning an AEW X stardom show, do you think that will happen? If so, any dream matches? Also, since I've only just gotten into stardom, any matches you could recommend? Murray, the floor Ooh, is yours. Tremendous stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. There won't, theoretically at the moment, if, if all the matches on the Forbidden Door are AEW versus New Japan, then... There's not a woman's presence on the show uh, unless Bushi Road, of course, are able to bring some stardom wrestlers in, which shouldn't be out of the question, I don't think. Stardom was, like, very isolationist pre-Bushi Road. Um, but now you do see them. They have matches on Wrestle Kingdom undercards, and they had one on the proper card this year. Uh, and it was a tremendously fun tag team sprint. Um, so the idea of... Uh, AEW versus stardom is wonderfully compelling. Um, in, I'm interested politically because we've seen collaborations with AEW and Tokyo Joshi Pro, which is obviously owned by Cyber Agent, Cyber Fight, completely different kettle of fish. So I don't, I don't know what the stuff is going on there. However, I, I, if they did this in in like Kurikan Hall or somewhere or or Sumo Hall, wherever, uh, Budokan maybe. Um, in Japan, I think it would be a lot of fun. Um, 
I think that the Stardom roster is one of the you could there, literally there are about twenty names on the Stardom roster who could give you a four star match any night of the week. It's an absurdly stacked, quite small but talent rich roster with some of the most exciting young wrestlers in the world. Uh, and on the AEW side, I think the most compelling people to fill up a card like that with are your Serena Deeb's, are your uh, Tony Storms. Uh, people like that, the better wrestlers. Uh, Hater has obviously worked stardom before, so she could slot right in. Statlander would be pretty cool. Statlander would be great. I think she's someone who could... Like, I think Chris Statlander is a tremendous wrestler. I think she's quietly, like, one of the best in the entire company. Like, certainly, like, a standard bearer in ring for that division now. Um, if she... Imagine what she'd be like, though, if she did, like, a six-month excursion in Japan. That'd be awesome. But, yes, Statlander's a great shout. Um, dream matches... For such an event, intro like a lot of people would immediately point to your Suri's and your Tami Hayashistas who have been at the top of Stardom recently. Um, I think for me, the ultimate dream match in Stardom doesn't involve them. Um, it would be Tam Nakano, who to me is the most complete wrestler in Stardom uh, in terms of what she can do athletically, physically, technically, all of that stuff. But she's so emotive as well. Like, she's so great at conveying emotion without coming off as silly and melodramatic and over the top. Like, she conveys a really excellent sense of struggle, more so than probably anyone else in stardom. Um, and for me, she would be the perfect person to just get tortured by Serena Deeb in submission holds. You know, Deeb's got this domineering professor character that she plays so well. Um, it just seems like a really, really great mix. Um, on the other side of things, I mean, something like Shuri versus Tony Storm would absolutely bang at the same time as well. So, like, yeah, there are a lot of options. I, Shida would be an interesting participant in this because she's gone back to Japan recently and worked for companies like Ice Ribbon. Uh, she was on a big Tokyo Joshi Pro show. I, again, I don't know politically the ramifications of that. So, fantasy booking a stardom card is actually pretty difficult uh, in that regard. But there, there's so many exciting options. And I feel like it's kind of weird. I feel, Well, it's not really weird considering they specialize in Joshi, but... It's kind of a lopsided one as well because stardom has so many and not to discredit the AEW women's roster. It's just, it's not quite on the same tier. But as far as getting into stardom goes, I mean, a lot of people will tell you to go and watch the Utami versus Shuri matches from last year, uh, particularly the first one, which got the, all the best women's matching decades hype and stuff from, from Dave. I, I would suggest that while those matches are brilliant, I love them. Um, maybe not the best starting point. They are very long. Uh, and if you're kind of just getting acclimated to the style, I don't think that going for the all-time epics is the best thing to do. That's why I would never say to somebody who's just getting into New Japan to immediately go and watch Okada versus Omega back-to-back, some of the best work of all time, but maybe a more accessible bridge into the company would be something like Mayu Iwatani versus Tam Nakano, which happened several times last year. They have immense history. They tell great in-ring stories that you don't need to uh, have a commentator explaining to you because they come across so well in the ring. That being said, I think if you're going to get into a promotion, there is no... And a promotion's hot at the moment, uh, which stardom is. There's no better time than the present. And go and watch the World Climax shows. I've got them open on my page because I can't I, I can't remember show dates. Uh, from the 26th and the 27th of March. They have dual headliners. They have Shuri putting up her World of Stardom title, uh, theoretically on both nights, depending on who the winner is. So I'm not going to give you any spoilers on the outcomes of those. Um, but the first night sees Julia... Step up, and Julia's a great gateway wrestler to stardom because she can keep up with the work rate stuff, but she's got great character, great 
presence in the ring as well. Uh, and Mayu Iwatani, who is the ace of stardom, in my view, and one of the best baby faces in the world, uh, she's lined up in night two for the winner of that. But really, also, y- you have the appeal of Kyrie Sane's come, Kyrie Hojo. She's just Kyrie now, all caps yelling. And you have her comeback as well. So that has added appeal. Um, but honest to goodness, if you watch the top five matches from both of those shows and you're not hooked, then Stardom's probably not for you, but those are great shows to get into. When does the Cinderella tournament happen? Cinderella tournament is ongoing. 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 That, isn't that a good entry point as well because of the match lengths? Yes, absolutely. I think these... Um, Tournaments are in Japan are always a lot more accessible. This is no different. I've not gotten into this year's stuff yet. Uh, I am I haven't touched any stardom stuff in April at all. Actually, it's on the watch list, and the watch list is a nightmare that never gets depleted. Um, but yes, always a good shout as well. I would say look at these shows. Look at these two world climax shows. They'll they'll sell you or they won't. Uh, and then if you're interested and you figured out the characters you like, go and follow them through the tournament. I never recommend watching an entire tournament cold, uh, going in and watching every show and every match because you're going to burn yourself out. Watch the World Climax shows, figure out who you like, figure out who you're not as much into, watch the people you like's matches and let, let your fandom blossom. That was long, I'm sorry. It's quite all right. <laughs> it's quite all right. Uh, the next question comes from Jessica Jack. And I think this is a very good question, and me and you will approach it in the correct way. Without entering a toxic debate between established and potential new fans of New Japan, do you think it's reasonable for AEW to present a short video package explaining it a bit? I'm a longtime AEW fan who hasn't watched anything from outside the US. We have to get the usual bollocks out of the way. <laughs> there are people who, and I'm absolutely not saying Jessica Jack is one of these people, but there are people who will operate in bad faith saying, oh, they don't cater to me or the casual fan. Do you know that there's a nomadic tribe of lapsed <laughs> um, wrestling fans who gave up in 2001 are just desperate for more information and exposition? And they'll all come back and the ratings from 1999 will come back. It's a little complete nonsense. The the casual fan is a myth. However, with something like this, with something like Wheeler Utah, I don't need an extensive rundown of his sure. independent history. I don't need him to have a microphone in his hand and say, I'm a spirited rookie who just wants to be like you. I can infer everything about him, what he wants, how good he is, how good he could potentially be, his motives through the in-ring storytelling with his ongoing genuine masterpiece that is the Blackpool Combat Club. With New Japan Pro Wrestling, you kind of need, especially if you want to sell pay-per-view buys to a North American casual base, you don't necessarily know what it is. It's the other side of the coin. I'm very glad that AEW treats my intelligence with respect, but at the same time, a tiny bit of explanation for something like this. Yes. When you are trying to sell a pape, couldn't do, like, any harm whatsoever. We saw a little bit when they were building um, the Young Bucks versus Rapongi Vice match that happened on Rampage not too long ago. We've got a beautiful two-minute package where it showed you all the highlights from the many matches they had in New Japan Pro Wrestling together, and it was so well done. Very underrated with video packages, um, I think, AEW. It was so well done that you thought, oh, I'm going to watch a match of the year. I, I'm yeah. going to watch a match yeah. of the year on Friday. More of that, particularly in the run-up to this show. Yeah, I really like this question in the way it's phrased because... Yeah, all of the, the, the stuff about... I, I always use capital T, capital C, capital F, the casual wrestling fan TM, because it's often like a straw man that people erect. But genuinely, there there is going to be a core group of people um, who would qualify as people who are, you know, new to New Japan and all of this stuff. So, like, it, it, it's a great way of approaching a valid issue. I, I completely agree. Maybe a way to do it might be to, week by week, announce somebody from New Japan who's going to be there. 
say it's Tanahashi, say it's Okada, say it's Shingo, say it's Hiromu, uh, and then you have a little two-minute thing on your thing, on on your show where you explain a little bit of who they are, just some brief career highlights or whatever. Maybe they can cut a promo. Uh, like Tanahashi's done subtitle promos on AEW TV before. Uh, you can explain what their recent what they've done recently, you can talk about, like, if you're doing Okada, he's had the record-breaking title reign, he's currently the top champion, he's he's had it since the start of the year, all of that good stuff. That might be a good, accessible way to introduce people to these characters. Um, short of Tony Khan just coming on air and going, hey, watch their shows. <laughs> I think that might be a good way to do it, and uh, one that would certainly benefit people who are not as familiar um, into, into kind of getting to know New Japan a little bit more. It's... A weird time for New Japan in general with the pandemic and uh, it's hit Japanese wrestling just terribly as far as the viewing experience goes but yeah I mean let's let's take some steps to make this accessible because it's not a given that every single person who watches AEW this week knows all of this stuff so yeah it's not like obnoxious exposition where they are like holding your hand very tightly through story beats when it's like I get it I get it I get it I get it it's seeing highlights of classic New Japan. Modern classic New Japan isn't really going to piss me off, despite the fact that I've seen most of it. And, yeah, it's a, just a useful primer yeah. for everybody else. An encouragement to part with your cash. Right, we've got a few more to go through. We'll try and rattle them through a bit quicker. Um, Ashley asks, what are the chances of Kenny Omega appearing at Forbidden Door? I'm thinking a quick promo or hello to the fans with a small update on his health. Thanks, lads. There is absolutely not a chance that Kenny Omega does not appear on the show in some capacity. Um before AEW was a thing, back in 2018, he appeared on Talkers Jericho to... Actually, this might have been 2017, um, but I know he's very much appeared on Talkers Jericho, where he basically, with a prescience, predicted everything that was going to happen in professional wrestling. And he said his biggest dream, his biggest goal was collaboration. He wanted to do Forbidden Door stuff well before he actually got the chance to do it in late 2020. He's always loved and buzzed the idea of promotions interacting and um, yielding so many dream matches. This has got his heart all over it. I think if nothing else, he will do a traditional, what they do in New Japan Pro Wrestling, if you're not particularly um, familiar with the promotion, is that at the end of every major show, you tend to get a post-match challenge that announces the next contender to um, one of the big titles that's defended on the show. If nothing else, they'll do something like that involving Kenny Omega. If he's not physically ready to do the show then, there'll be some kind of hint involving Omega doing a, a post-match challenge to a, a Carter or a whoever. I actually think he's going to ready himself for the show and work Jay White. Yeah. He's always wanted to work him. Um, it's a great guy to work a slow-building match that isn't too bump-intensive for um, his recovery. And I think he could do a job because in traditional puro, the returning star from injury is not is in great ring shape or in great form. It's the guy who's been there and sort of keeping the spot down. So he could even lose to Jay White in a shock. Um, who the hell knows, but he's on the show for me. Yeah, I think the the dream scenario in my head, and Kenny Omega was in, in horrendous condition uh, for like the past two years of his run or whatever. And by the time he 
went away from AWTV. He had a myriad issues, uh, everything from the vertigo to every single joint in his body seemingly being made of paper mache. Um, so I'm not downplaying, don't make the mistake of thinking I'm downplaying any of that. It's a very, the guy was broken. Look at pictures of him just standing up, man. Like he, he's clearly- His posture was affected. Yeah, like he's clear, he was clearly in a bad way. But for me, the dream scenario of this is, I don't know if you guys know this, but sometimes- we uh, prolong injury absences a little bit to engineer drama. And maybe sometimes our people are a little bit further along the, the healing road than the intimate. And I'm not saying that this is definitely the case with Kenny or that any of his problems were underplayed, but I think it would be absolutely perfect if they knew Kenny Omega was going to be fine before the show. They knew he's going to be fine to work a basic match tomorrow. And they leverage the drama of him maybe not being there into something really cool for this show. I don't think there's any way that he misses the show altogether. I think he will do something. If he is not physically ready, then as you've described, something like that makes perfect sense. Um, but I'm not ruling out the, the chance that Kenny has gone on Dave's podcast and said, ah, oh, man, I'm like, you know, I'm like three or four months to go. Like, you know, there's been some holdups and all this stuff. Um Probably unlikely. Kenny's a very honest guy. He's a very uh, clear speaker. I love listening to him talk. He's, he, he, I like the way he thinks about wrestling, and I like the the the, the level of himself that he pours into every single thing he does. Um, but that being said, man, I, I don't know. It's a work. Yeah, they're all yeah, workers. They're all, they're, they never switch off fully, do they? So I think that would be perfect. But yeah, I, he'll have some kind of presence for sure. Absolutely. Right. Giles Hart asks... <laughs> Why are you who, laughing? <laughs> who would have had more potential as a long-term main event success if things had gone differently? Ryback or Ahmed Johnson? <laughs> yes. I love this question. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, both of them in their own wonderful ways are uh, very thick. <laughs> and not long for the pro wrestling world. Um, yeah, they burned out quickly, both of them. It did. Ahmed Johnson, right. As we saw from his run in WCW, was never the most uh, committed guy. Like he put on a bit of weight, didn't he? <laughs> Let's be honest. He did. He did. Ryback never did that. He always kept himself in tip-top shape, but he was his own worst enemy politically because he was a moron, <laughs> <laughs> and he lost a lot of uh, currency with fans. A lot of it was through terrible booking. I think he got found out by a lot of people, and he yeah. continues to get found out. For me, man, honestly, Ahmed Johnson had a certain appeal that was just awesome. Yeah. It was just absolutely awesome. He had this intensity about them. Kind of Sid energy about Ahmed Johnson in that it was kind of like a train coming off the rails, but it was going to crash into you and kill you. Like a really intense, crazy guy. I love Ahmed Johnson, not just for the Warzone promos. The Warzone promos are absolutely <laughs> incredible. Uh, I think Ahmed, if, if you, uh, here's the thing, right? If you had a word with each of them, you were able to have some influence over both guys. And you said, look, stop getting in your own way. Yeah. Stop getting in your own way. If you were be able to be like a, a, a whisperer to both men, and they both realize, right, okay, I'm going to stop being an idiot. I'm going to stop being a little bit whacked out. <laughs> and then that would undermine their appeal. But you know what I mean? If you yeah, just said both of, of them, be just less yourselves enough, retain just enough of yourself, but with a better outlook, Go. It's Ahmed Johnson all of the goddamn way. You're right. And it's kind of irritating because, like, the unspoken thing about Ryback in WWE is that towards the end of his run, he actually got quite good in the ring. 
Like, it's like saving Kalisto and everything. Yeah, like when Kalisto had that dive and he was like, oh crap, I'm going to catch this guy. But like he was having good matches and stuff. And like you could tell toward like his last few months, he was clearly checked out. He was like bantering it off every week, like the pre-show stopper and all of that stuff. Very funny. And like, I didn't know he was- Big guy. Yeah. <laughs> the big guy. Remember when he uh, went after Kane with all the mustard and stuff yeah. backstage? Yeah, that was uh, something else. Uh, but yes, uh, that's the problem with Ryback. He is uh, an incomprehensibly stupid human being. <laughs> So that was always going to get in his way. I mean, listen, you could you could crack two rocks together, uh, pick up all the dust, put it in a glass of water, and pour it out of the window, and that would be a more intelligent move than than, than booking right back on top. Unfortunately, um, he hates us, so we can say this. Um, <laughs> but like towards the end of his run, he was like fun. He was like fun, dumb powerhouse, um, which is something that I particularly enjoy. But yes, it's it's 100% Ahmed. Ahmed. Ahmed had that level of eyeball-bursting intensity that you look from. I first discovered him, um, and then like the late 90s and stuff, I was kind of drifting in and out, depending on like what VHS tapes we could get from Woolworths <laughs> in the era. Uh, but I, I was introduced to him through his feud with Farouk. And when he was chasing Farouk around the arenas, I thought he was going to be the biggest star in the universe. Granted, I was 12, um, <laughs> and that did not transpire. But yeah, glad to uh, get paid to talk about Ahmed Johnson. What a life. It's what, an, what an unbelievable life as well. What a privilege. Indeed. Jack asks, what is the best possible match that can be made for Forbidden Door? Danielson versus Okada. And I'm just going to manifest that, even though I've literally <laughs> just talked about it. Um, Eric, yes. Jenny's husband. It's a great question. Could the Dax versus Cash match be a rerun of the classic Brett versus Owen match in WWE? Mm. Yes or no, I'm convinced they will use it as a template. If you've never seen Bret Hart versus Owen Hart from WrestleMania 10, um, listen to the end of this podcast, we've got the, uh, the, the mid-roll ads and all the rest of it, and then log on to the WWE Network and watch it because it's a masterpiece. It's a story between, um, it's just so wonderfully textured, and you can see it from both sides, so mature and advanced by WWF's... Um, General storytelling standard. Bret Hart is the older star brother. He's a little bit patronizing towards his younger brother. Um, he's a little bit sanctimonious in his uh, treatment of Owen. And this fuels a resentment and a bitterness within Owen. And they have this match after Owen turns on him. It's two matches in one. Yeah, like four almost. So Owen Hart is like playing nasty. And he's, like, scraping Brett's forehead. And Brett's, like, shooting him a look as if to say, don't do that. Don't. Brett's trying to, com like, keep it competitive. He doesn't want to fight his younger brother. But he will wrestle him. And then Owen Hart eventually pisses him off so much that, like, Brett just slowly dials up the intensity and slowly starts to, like, fight him despite himself. And it's not, why am I so violent? It's... And if it is, it's the best possible version of that. Why Am I So Violent is a parody of this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely great take. And then eventually, the tension, the emotion, the animosity, uh, the violence gets so much that it just becomes this fight. And it's just absolutely great. I can imagine Dax and Cash starting out very competitively, great chain wrestling. They'll have a wonderful lockup. This lockup will be incredible. Oh, it's going to be so tight. So tight. <laughs> And uh, what's going to happen is one of them is going to, like, heal on the other. Yeah. And they're going to go, man, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you so violent? But, again, a great version of it. And then it's going to, like, unravel, and yeah. it's going to get seriously hot. It'll all end with a handshake, but, yes, great question. Yeah. Handshake and a hug. Clack the belts together. 
uh, it's just a shame you, you, you'll never be able to recreate the great tragedy of what happens given the result of Brett and Owen and then later in the night. It's just one of the all-time great things, the images of Vince watching. Vince great at this. Vince McMahon yeah. used to be absolutely phenomenal at this. Another spot to look out for, because I'm fantasy booking it and I'm manifesting it, is if they're two Southern Tag-style prodigies, like aficionados, just desperate for cash, who's got it in him to bust out a high spot, because... Dax would never strategize for that, and Cash has got it. This I'm desperate for this match to be great, and I think it absolutely will yes, be. Definitely, we should probably talk WWE at least once. Yeah, let's probably, do it. at the end of the day, we've lost any WWE fan already. But Eric Vasquez is a day one follower of What Culture Wrestling, so even if we've lost the WWE fans and those who've made it through the Stardom essay. <laughs> Sorry, guys, <laughs> just taking the piss. Don't worry about me. I'm an <laughs> arsehole, man. Let me talk DDT. Eric Vasquez has got a WWE question made, and he says, what's next for Brock Lesnar? Ooh, what is next for Brock Lesnar? The cynical answer is that Brock Lesnar immediately comes in and wins a title, because <laughs> that's the, the Brock Lesnar booking pattern. But it's a bit more muddied now, isn't it, considering who's on top and who beat him at WrestleMania and who's beaten them like a drum uh, throughout the course of this feud. I think that... Look, I, I, I think that the answer is still that Brock Lesnar comes back and wins a world title. Um, it's just how WWE book the guy. Um, but that is obviously dependent on them splitting the titles again, which you know, pre-WrestleMania was reported to be on the cards. I still think that'll happen. I think they'll find a way to get one of the belts off of Roman Reigns. Um, I would love to sit here and earnestly say that Brock Lesnar is going to enter the pure star-making phase of his career, which could be so awesome if they used Brock Lesnar as a way to get younger wrestlers who they want to make into bigger deals over and he just gets beaten and stuff. I think that would be sick, but I don't think that there's any logical way for me to make you believe that that's going to happen, so I'm not going to bother. I legitimately think that... Who who we who we thinking who we thinking is the top guy on Raw? Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes is going to win one of the belts at least from Roman Reigns. That's going to happen at SummerSlam. This is my prediction. And Brock Lesnar is going to come in and beat him at the Royal Rumble and take it back. And uh, all the Cody fans are going to be raging. And the cycle repeats. It's not a terribly imaginative answer, I know, but it's just how they book Brock, isn't it? It is. If I'm going to be on the light side of life. Glass half full is. and all that. Slapstick Sidgwick, they call him, <laughs> hanging out with Baron Corbin. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. If I'm going to be a little bit lighter, a little more optimistic in my outlook, given how much they appear to like him a lot more than they have, this is a guy who was once told, no, by Vince McMahon when he had like an average WrestleMania match. They seem to love Kevin Owens now. Um... Kevin Owens and Brock Lesnar have already had a WWE match. I don't know if it was on a network special or just a house show that I saw fan cam footage of, but it was two minutes and Owens got destroyed. I think Kevin Owens versus Brock Lesnar could really be something. I think they entrust Kevin Owens to do something way more substantial than a two-minute um, glorified Brock squash. I would like to see Brock versus Kevin Owens. It's one of the few guys who they trust to work Brock in a feature program that he hasn't really done an awful lot with i think the dynamic could be great if we can get like a glimpse of steen in the lesnar dynamic as well i think that would be awesome personally but yeah i kind of echo murray's take quite like brock lesnar no selling edges blue bollocks that would be a lot of fun that would be awesome yeah a la rhea ripley and alexa bliss in the rumble the other year yes came in did the spooky stuff and she's like now go away that'd be fun that would be very very fun indeed and speaking of fun the last question Comes from Match of the Year. 
Match of the year. I, I, I don't know how to answer this, but it's it's so good. If a shoot broke out <laughs> like in 1991 between John Tenser and Koji Katao, which two combatants <laughs> would we most likely see it from? For the uninitiated, I think this was um, in the short-lived Super World of Sports promotion. I think so. Regardless, if you YouTube it or go on Pro Wrestling Stories, you'll get a great account um, of this. What happened is that they refused to cooperate with each other. Katao just basically was no selling his offense. And Tenta, legendarily nice, mild-mannered guy, must have got really pissed off because he kind of, he just lost it. They both lost it. And even Tenta was like, he just couldn't get him to be on the same page. And he refused to be on the same page. And I think the quote is from Koji Katao, you're just a monkey in this fake wrestling circus. I think that's a quote. Mm. But there was, it just it completely fell apart. Now, we saw something approaching this with Charlotte Flair and Nia Jax last year, if oh, you remember that. That ruled so much. Now, Charlotte Flair's got previous yeah. with the, the stuff of Becky and the stuff with Nia Jax. So I'm thinking Charlotte Flair is at the epicenter of the most likely to do something like this with. And uh, one of these days, the, the booking patterns are so circular, there's a select group of people that they only care about. I think her and Becky Lynch could throw down. Interesting. Yeah, they could. And they, they've, they've maintained those kind of slightly guarded but somewhat icy comments at each other even after all that. Um, so... The last few kind of notable examples of this are a big clumsy person has accidentally wellied someone they shouldn't have wellied and it has fallen apart as a result. Nia Jackson, Charlotte Flair, Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar being the other noticeable, notable one when Braun stiffed him and Brock beat the crap out of him, beat his head like a drum. It was <laughs> with, awesome. With his fists, it was fun. So following that theme, I reckon that Adam Scherer is going to have to start working if he, you know, to me to be wrestling, to be just a wrestling guy, and and now tells he's probably gonna. You're probably gonna see him branch out a little bit beyond control your narrative. I reckon there's gonna we're gonna see a time where it, this this is not a guy who has a high opinion a high opinion of the indie scene. He's he's even now he's like denying that control your narrative is an indie, which is insane because the whole point of control your narrative is that it's independent of major <laughs> corporations. It's unfathomable, right? It's unfathomable. But there's going to see a be a time where if he continues, you know, to, to, to wrestle out with Control Your Narrative, if he does that, some promoter is going to see money in Braun Strowman versus someone from New Japan because it's weird, it's wacky, it's something you'll have never seen before. What's this giant guy going to do against this guy? I think <laughs> it's kind of a dream match, actually, now that I've played out in my head. Braun Strowman and Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> I I, could you not just see Sure accidentally hitting him a little bit too hard? Perhaps not knowing that Minoru Suzuki is one of the founding fathers of mixed martial arts, a founding pancreas guy, and getting absolutely starched. I, it would be an incredible visual. It would be absolutely awesome, that. It'd Boring be absolutely answer. Absolutely awesome. Boring answer. Sin Cara versus Sheamus. Yes. Sin Cara's beaten everybody up backstage. He's even beaten Sheamus up already. Twice. He's beaten Sheamus up already. Twice. 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 The first thing that popped in my head, and I was like, ha, you've just been worked. 
Eddie Kingston makes you think that he's going to do this yeah. literally every time, and that's how much of a genius he is. But again, thanks for joining us. We always appreciate your engagement on Twitter. We try and do this every now and then just to basically monetize that. But also to say thank you and to be able to do it um, on a proper basis because half the time I'm just so tired when I get home. So uh, thanks for your listening. Um, underneath the Twitter post um, to this podcast, let us know your answers, if you've got any, to the questions posed today, all of which we are thankful for. Um, and whilst you're there, you can follow Andy Murray at... At Andy H. Murray. The H stands for... Hmm. Why? Why? It's not starts with a W. Okay, okay. <laughs> You can follow me at M. Sidgwick. Once again, thanks for joining us. Um, if you somehow missed our Dynamite review from earlier today, you can get that wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll be back tomorrow with Adam Wilborn, hopefully, for all the usual preview and wrestle culture content. And until then, we will see you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.